serious and respected history podcast on the World Wide Webnet. Today, Angela Barnes, what are yes. we doing? Ah, oh, John. Well, we had a little... We did an episode, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago about the Battle of Hastings. Yes, and during and what that was episode, our main take out? Our, our main take about it was... Be a good wine bad, I yes, think, the, essentially. Was that the bloody Normans impose snobby wine on the English and yeah. we still go to a bloody posh party and they go red or white and yeah. John's there going, how would Jackie feel after I went and got some cans of lager from the, from the off-licence? Would she think <laughs> it was acceptable? The answer was no, I, by the way. <laughs> well, the answer is yes, if you'd ask me, because I do this. We're both beer drinkers more than yes. wine drinkers. We love a beer. And so we thought, well, why not do an episode about the history of beer, particularly the history of beer in Britain, because it's so entwined in our history. I think beer. the research needed for this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I have researched this like no other, Angela. The minor error we have made, John, is recording this episode at 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you speak for yourself. <laughs> the book I read on this was A History of English Ale and Beer by H.A. Monckton. This was published in 1966. <laughs> And it said, average prices today are one and sixpence for a pint of draft beer in a pub. You can't say that we are history. Don't bring things bang up to date, John O'Farrell. It's great, this book. It's going, who knows whether the current spending on by the big brewers of advertising to promote lager will see it adopted by the English. Only time will tell. <laughs> and indeed, it, well, we'll get to that. Yeah. The book I've read, slightly more contemporary, is Man Walks Into a Pub by Pete Brown. Pete Brown is a great writer on beer he also wrote a brilliant book called hops and glory uh, about the oh, history yes, of pale ale one, yeah. um, the india pale we'll, ale going to india, india pale stuff, ale yeah. Yeah, yeah sorry yeah, india pale ale ipa yeah. so we'll touch on that but if you want i mean that's the book to read you could do a whole episode on that and there's going to be lots of things i say what's, during this where i go you could do a whole episode on what's that. wrong with h.a monkton in 1966 <laughs> god love you john were you a lot you what year were you born john 1962 Born under so you... Harold Macmillan. <laughs> I remember. I remember the 1966 World Cup. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course, it was uh, ten years before I was born, John. I know. I know. This is the difference between our historical takes. For me, it's all current affairs. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say, listeners, that doing beer was Angela's suggestion? So any suggestion yes. that I'm some old soak, I refuse. <laughs> my lawyers will be on to you. Well, I. I want to shout out to my friend Emma Inch, who is um, currently, I believe, although it might have, the new winner might have been announced, but she certainly last year was the um, British Beer Writer of the Year. Wow. And it's a, you know, there's not a lot of women in that industry. No, no. So, Emma, this one's for you and all women who like drinking beer because we do exist, John, and we do like it out of pint glasses, no matter what Al Murray oh, will tell how you. how disappointing. I'd like um, to, a little snowball for the lady, little sherry. Yeah. <laughs> I've got this thing that beer names in pubs, their titles are a bit Brexity. You get yes, Spitfire Ale and sort of Crusader Bitter. And so true, Bombardier. Bombardier, you know, they never go uh, monetary union lager, do you? Or... <laughs> they're either Brexity or they're a bit, you know, country pursuits. Right, yeah, shooters. Which in itself or, is yeah, a little yeah, bit Brexity, it isn't is, it? Yeah. It's like the old stoat or... Um... Yeah, yeah, that's my two cents. Let's have more Remainer bitter names, please. That's John's... Rec- <laughs> I'm calling this beer a British social history. We're not condoning alcoholism in this. <laughs> you know, obviously some people have issues with, you know, and we're not glamorising beer, although it We're is thinking. bloody brilliant. It's a great but thing. But the, the fact is that humans pretty much forever have been trying to get off their tits one way or another. Indeed. Um, the upper Paleolithic tribes of hunter-gatherers, go back to our origin of Homo sapiens um, podcast, podcast yeah. if you want to. But, you know, 38 to 45,000 years ago, they were, um, you know, finding Good. substances. And every society yeah. in history has used intoxicating substances, either um, sparingly or liberally, sometimes... Magic with, mushrooms, with, tobacco. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes the, it would be under the guise of religion and sometimes yeah. it was just for shits and giggles. Um, <laughs> What's interesting about some of these addictive substances like tobacco mm-hmm. or alcohol is that I think there's some sort of scientific basis for the fact that our DNA sort of gets used to it. 
So Europeans generally can cope with alcohol, but when we took alcohol to the New World or to Australia, the people there became much more addicted to alcohol much more quickly because they hadn't had a thousand generations of it. Whereas tobacco, which was brought from the New World to Europe, you know, the, the Native Americans were able to smoke tobacco without having 40 packs of Marlboro Light a week. Yeah. Whereas we have had our you know, many lives ruined and destroyed by tobacco in a different way. So the addictive substances of different continents have had a yeah. different effect on the people. Look, who... in, in sort of South Asia, in, in um, I think in Japan particularly, I think tolerance for alcohol mm. is really low, isn't it? It's, yeah. um, you know, yeah. you get drunk much more quickly. When I was in Australia, you know, the, the problem for Aboriginals, uh, first Australians as they're called, um, yeah, mm. terrible problem with alcohol, but it's just not something mm. that's in their culture or has been in their sort of, their experience for thousands of years, like it has for us. Yeah. And I that think... Might explain why Australian lagers so piss weak. <laughs> Well, I think I said this in the Bella Hastings one, but I think I have a genetic predisposition to tolerate beer, but not wine. Yeah, uh, wine same. makes me feel terrible and I get don't like the way it makes me drunk. It makes me a bit cross. Whereas beer You're makes me all... Yeah, a bit, a bit of Celt, you know. But beer makes yeah. me all jovial and jokey and relaxed, you know, and it's same. just, I think, and I feel and fine. Gin makes me cry. <laughs> um, the Egyptians were drinking beer, the Babylonians, the Mesopotamians, they were all drinking beer. Um, there was much more rain back then in the Middle East than there is now. Right. So um, it's believed that it was there that cereals were first cultivated for food from around 6000 BC. It's not clear when people started deliberately fermenting cereals into beer, but they were right. certainly writing about it as far back as 3000 BC. Okay. Um, the and ancient we, Egyptians loved and it. And when we say beer, we're not yeah. talking about the beer that we have now, are we? It was look very no. different. No, hops in it would have been fermented malt or whatever. Yes, exactly. And I mean, in the Egyptians, the beer, in inverted commas, that they had, they and the Egyptians, like 40% of all the grain they harvested went into making beer. They were proper wow. lager louts, the Egypt, well, not lager, but you, but their beer was... That explains like the a, pyramids, Angela. It's like, that's one of those things you go, I'll tell you what we should do, let's build a massive pointy tower. And it's like, no one next morning went, it's really such a good idea for did what we build I a, Did we build, build something it. last night? Did we? Um, <laughs> Uh, but their their beer was like a thick porridge-like substance that had to be drunk through a straw. And I don't know about you, John, but when I sup an ale, there's the one thing I think is, do you know what's missing from this? Lumps. <laughs> you, you never tasted my homebrew, Angela. <laughs> oh, no, no, when I was a student, I was a mad homebrewer because... You're a student, high alcohol consumption, low income. I solved that impossible equation with a mad for home brewing. I'd have four 40 pint barrels in our student wow. kitchen. I mashed my own malt, which is to say I took the grain, I heated it to the correct temperature to convert the malt to maltose. I fermented it for a week. I added the hops. I chose the fuggles or the golden hops. And uh, my house was like a pub. Everyone would come round and my brother I would go. you had nope. so many friends at university. My brother would go, none of them like you, John. I only come around yeah. for the free beer. I had a similar thing at university, except it's because my dad ran a sex shop. <laughs> And the internet wasn't a thing then. I had lots of friends because they got free porn. Oh my God. What, a class, what classy background we both have. My, my brother confessed to me recently. He said, you used to, I used to come down to your place in Exeter and you'd say, oh, I've got a really good one here, Pat. Just, just look at this. And I'd pour it carefully from the barrel. It was all clear and a little bit of sparkle and a little bit of head. I'd say, taste that, taste that. And he'd sip it and go, Mm, 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 that's, that's, that's a good one, John. And he said every time it was disgusting. <laughs> For years and years, he'd come down and go, oh, no, it's Lovely. interesting, interesting. And he's going, did you, was... um, did you name your brews? I did. They'd be, they'd be like when the Falklands was invaded, it was like Task Force Tipple or Malvinus <laughs> Mild. As a 1983 election was announced, I brewed a Labour landslide bitter and it was completely, <laughs> completely undrinkable, which was a sign. Be, yeah, you jinxed that. Yeah, that's yeah. what happened there. Um, yeah. Did uh, was it strong the stuff? It was all. I, I made it all sort of varying strengths. I made uh, stout. I made mild. I made bitter. I made one which I read in a book. Is if you put the carcass of a chicken into the brew, that ferments as well. So I tried that once. It's called cock ale. It oh. I tell you what it tasted like. It tasted cock. like I put the the, car <laughs> the carcass of a chicken in the beer. Oh my god, that's disgusting. I do remember having the. We had to again. I've never drunk a beer and thought, Do you know what this needs? Dead flesh. 
Well, one time I had the, we had the Liverpool Poets. We invited them down to uh, Exeter. We had Roger McGough and Adrian Patton and all them. And um, they came back to my house afterwards because we, we, the Literary Society had organised it. And they got pissed on my homebrew. And I remember Roger McGough laughing at Very Macho Bitter. It was just called Very Macho Bitter. <laughs> and um, I was so chuffed that Roger McGough had liked my joke. Uh, it was was a great Roger McGough in Scaffold? Yes, yeah, right, yeah. So Lily yeah. the Pink could have yeah, been yeah. based on your beer. Well, that's not. Lily the Pink was like when I was five years old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but sorry, anyway, John, it's just all the olden days to me. I know, all, I know. But know, anyway, yeah. I was a mad brewer and I know the whole business. So what we're talking about is mm. sorry, beer yeah. is made from malt, which is the germinated barley. So it's not, there's no alcohol content in hops. It all comes no. from the sugar in malt in barley. Well, yeah. So we're back in the sort of ancient world. So we've got the John, Babylonian... John student days, yeah. John student days. <laughs> <laughs> so there were lots of myths and stories surrounding beer in Mesopotamia. There was the Gilgamesh and Enkidu was the... Enkidu, is that how you pronounce it? I have no Enkidu. idea. My, know, my but... ancient Mesopotamian's a bit rusty. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically it's the oldest known narrative poem in the world okay. uh, in which this wild man Enkidu Enkidu I'm not sure how you say it he's given beer to drink and he ate until he was full drank seven pitchers of beer and his heart grew light his face glowed and he sang out with joy that's the first record we have oh, it's wow. about human mortality um, okay. and the, the idea is that apparently the story was saying that oh, we're all going to die so you might as well get pissed that's essentially good. Which I think is a good Life is short, have fun. Exactly, exactly. There were similar myths all over the world. In Africa, there was a myth which was similar to that of Pandora's box. But at the bottom of the box, instead of hope, like there was in Pandora's (laughs) box, they had a gourd full of beer. Which I think is a better story, (laughs) That's a better story, yeah. Um, Fairly recently, last year, archaeologists found evidence of the first Iron Age beer in England. Okay. Um, which dated back over 2,000 years. They found that during some roadworks in, in Cambridgeshire. So that's wow. quite exciting. So what we should probably... Cut, what What is beer, John? You've given us the... It's, yeah. um, it's basically, from what I can make out... And I'm not a scientist, John, and this is not a science podcast, and it all no. gets very involved and people get very wanky about beer. So we're going to try yeah. and steer away from that. But it's essentially, you've got these microscopic single-celled fungi, these yeasts, yeah. and they float about looking for warm, damp places that have got sugar in them. And they uh, eat the sugar. And what comes out the other end is CO2 and alcohol. Yeah. So basically you've got... Uh, so when I wasn't making loads of beer, I was also making wine. I had these demijohns, a dozen gallon things. And so they'd all be bubbling with that little U-bend uh, uh, seal at the top. So you put your fruit in there. The sugar turns to alcohol. The yeast lives on the sugar. It produces, it sort of pisses out alcohol, basically, this yeah. thing. And it eventually it's poisoned. The yeast is poisoned by the alcohol in which it is living. And that's when it's finished fermenting. And I, I saw this and I thought, what a... What a allegory for the planet that is. That we're they're <laughs> yeah. sitting there getting pissed. These used to get in. They get all getting pissed until they poison themselves with their what they've produced. And I wrote this little short story about it when I was like yeah. twenty. And then I gave my girlfriend at the time this Kurt Vonnegut novel I'd been reading and said, I'll read this. It's really good. And she just read out this sentence from the novel, which is basically the short story I'd just spent about a week <laughs> writing. You've just nicked it from Kurt Vonnegut. And I went, oh, God. Oh, shit. <laughs> shit. I thought it was a really clever story. You plagiarised. Yeah. So I must have at some level sort of had this idea go in. But but yeah, that's so that's an allegory for what we're doing to the planet is just getting pissed and poisoning ourselves. What I love about beer is um, an alcohol production in general is that it's only like 140 odd years ago that they really understood what was happening up until that point it was this magical thing happened when you put these things yeast and and sugars together and in the middle ages they thought it was magic you know and they thought it was something in the air and they called the thing that was in the air that they thought caused fermentation they called it God is good. God is good because he gives us this. God I know. is good. God is good. Keeps cropping up in this book. God is good, and it's it. like in the official documents. You know, God brilliant. is good. It's yeah. Brilliant. I mean, it does happen in the wild. I mean, you have a the, the the sort of blue. If you see a prune or a plum, and you see mm. that sort of misty sheen on the outside, that's like a, 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 a what's called a bloom, and that is a yeast. And so, if you mash yeah. that up and leave it on the ground. Uh, it'll it ferment and the, you know well, you see cows all asleep in fields. I was going to say, all, every yeah. now and then you see yeah. these stories don't they, about a herd of elephants come yeah. across some rotting fruit and all mm. get pissed. And, mm. and that's why wine or a forerunner of wine is the first way that people got pissed because fermentation 
happens quite easily in fruit. Yes. Doesn't it? And yes. it can happen quite accidentally and easily. Yeah. But grain, of course, of which beer is made of barley, whatever, yeah. it's got a tougher outer layer than fruit. So it's harder yeah. for fermentation to occur, harder for the yeast yes. to get in. So while we were hunter-gatherers roaming the savannah, you'd yeah. pick what you needed as you went. As we began to settle and store grain, we, you know, agriculture began. Fertile so crescent. Would, you would um, harvest grain, store it in pots, and it's the grain that was stored in pots would then get damp and eventually would ferment. And that's where we went, hang on a minute, that thing that happens with the fruit is happening over here as well. I'll have one of those, please. And a snowball for the lady. And a snowball for the lady. <laughs> do you know what? I love snowballs, though. I do. Early beers, herbs added to them so you'd yeah. have like rosemary or thyme or yeah. or they'd add grapes because that would speed up the fermentation okay, okay. Um, or honey every now and then at christmas people go what can i get john for christmas oh he loves his beer and i'll get a bottle of fancy farted around with beer so uh, uh, this is german beer which has black currants added and then no. there's this other one that's got cherries and this one's got um, um loads of different herbs it's like it's disgusting. I just yeah. don't give it. I don't want it. I don't like, like fruit beers. Apart no. from a good old Belgian Creek. I don't mind that. The like original sort of Belgian cherry beer. I can, but I can only drink one of them. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, stop mucking around with what's perfect. But, but yeah, no, I agree. Product. I don't. Yeah. I'm um, allergic to grapefruit. Quite, Are you? I really can't have grapefruit. Oh, and a lot of these sort of new craft beers, which we'll come on to later. Yeah. Put grapefruit in. I have Are to they? really check. And I've Gosh. had to even like tweet the brewers to go. Is there grapefruit in this? Because a lot of hops taste quite grapefruit. I see. That's weird. Sometimes I'll drink it and go, oh shit, is that grapefruit? Anyway, lots of archaeologists believe that brewing was one of the reasons we settled in these communities because you had to be in one place. Yeah, can't get the beer all shaken up. Yeah, You know, exactly. So Pete Brown, in his book that I read, he says that beer is the root cause of civilization, and I, for one, will drink to that. I'll drink to that too, Angela. That's, let's say <laughs> it's nothing to do with agriculture or, you know. No. <laughs> We've got a pub here, let's stay, is what they're saying. Exactly, exactly. Let's do that. Why would you go anywhere else? So beer is really rooted in Northern Europe. Right, Yes. Northern Europe mythology, full of ale drinking. They love yes. it. Um, and when the Romans came here with their wine, their wine. Yeah, fancy Romans. Um, they found their... that beer had beaten them. Yeah. We, we, we already had beer. In fact, the Vikings, they loved it. There's a hall in Valhalla, according to Viking Norse mythology, uh, where you basically spend an eternity getting pissed with Odin. Um, okay. And the beer comes from a goat tethered to a tree who, uh, when you milk it, produced the finest beer. There you go. That's a hard religion to sort of believe in, but I'll, I'll, I think it, you know, I'll go with that one. <laughs> if I had to choose, if I'm going to choose. I'll go with it over Mormonism. Emperor Julian, he thought that this wine made from barley was an insult to the god of wine, Bacchus ah, himself. Yes. And he said, who made you and from what? By the true Bacchus, I know you not. He smells of nectar, but you smell of goat. Because he's emperor, everyone has to go, oh, it's very witty, very witty. Great speech, sir. <laughs> great. <laughs> So in Britain, we so the Romans get here yeah. and we're already brewing, but we're brewing mead and cider rather than beer. Um, okay. And because Britain's heavily forested, right? So there was, at right, this time, there's no point in clearing space for grain when you can get wasted on what you've already got, uh, base, which is basically anything with naturally occurring sugars. And then yes. the Angles and Saxons came in the 5th century AD. Yes. And they'd already been drinking, like we said, in Northern Europe, they'd already been drinking what they called Ol or Elu which became okay. ale. So they eventually see off the Romans because we all know that beer drinkers are better fighters than white <laughs> That's like, right, in the, in the car park um, now. Julian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Julian, is that your name? I've got a quote here from St Cuthbert who said, um, this is in the 600s actually, but he says that um, it is reported that in your diocese, the vice of drunkenness is too frequent. This is an evil peculiar to our race, meaning the English. Yeah. Neither the Franks, nor the Gauls, nor the Lombards, nor the Romans, nor the Greeks commit it. So Bullshit. basically, we are the drinkers <laughs> of Europe by the 6th century. See, all this did was prove what everyone in the city centre on a Friday night knows, yes. is that you fight better on beer, right? There's never been a sun headline no. that says, leave for milk louts, right? No. It's, no. And, and the Anglo-Saxon, the word beer, it's from the Latin word bibere, which the... Anglo-Saxon started using, which means to drink. Right. So that's how fundamental beer is. It's a name that's synonymous with just drink. drink. Yes. <laughs> like, so who was brewing this then? Well, this is what I love, John. I spoke earlier at the top of the show about my friend Emma, who's a 
Shakespeare writer. Yes. And of course, like with so many things throughout history, John, what happens is women oh, here we go. quietly go coming. along. No, yes, you can. You can shush and listen now. Women quietly get along doing a job really well. And yeah. then men come along and go, we'll take it from here. And we want loads of praise for it. Right, yeah. So basically... In the Middle Ages, brewing was the job of the woman of the house. It was an everyday okay. activity like baking or every, all the other things that they did to keep a household going. Right. The women that brewed were known as alewives. Ah. Um, I really fancy being an alewife. An alewife. Right. And in almost all these ancient mythologies that mention beer, beer was a gift to the women. And it was always passed on by feminine deities, which I think okay. is quite interesting. And in Western cultures, alewife was the key figure until the 16th century. And that's because, obviously, we had this church-driven patriarchy, which really blew up in the 1500s and decided yes. that anything impressive had to be the domain of the man, be it art, be it, you know, anything. And it happens with everything throughout history. Yes, you're doing a great job, dear, but we'll take it from here. Turns out, all oh, this thing you've been doing without a fuss is quite skilled. So now yes. we want some... Praise for it, please. Now it's an art. Now it's a profession, right? The chefs are the same as this. Right, of course. You know, women have cooked bakers, forever, bakers. prepared food for their... Suddenly men do it and it becomes fucking master chef, you know? Um, but anyway, <laughs> no, I, I hear you, down. I hear you. But, hear I mean, apart from anything else, it was safer than water, wasn't it? Drinking beer yes. was something that the whole family did because in mm. the process of making beer, the water was heated and yep. uh, germs were killed. And so whilst your local well was full of all the germs that came from the open sewers, beer was your main source of liquid. You got you know, dr drinking beer, the children drank beer, everyone drank pints and pints of beer every day as the safest thing to drink. What an alewife would do, they'd make their initial brew, which was a strong brew, and then they'd recycle the same grain, mash it again, and make a weaker brew out of it, which they would call table beer. Okay. Um, and this table beer would be drunk by the women and the children, and it'd be served with every meal, including breakfast. So, John, we could have had a beer at 11 yeah. o'clock in the morning. A pint of table beer. A table beer. A breakfast yeah. beer. That's what I like to call it. Um, so throughout the Middle Ages, throughout the Anglo-Saxon periods, we're drinking beer and getting royally pissed. And then, like you said in the, our Battle of Hastings episode, the Normans yeah. come and they bring wine. Some historians have suggested that the reason Harold's armies made so many mistakes is that they were still pissed from celebrating the Stamford Bridge. Victory. I was going to say the Stamford Bridge result. That makes it sound yeah, like yeah. a Chelsea game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From the Stamford Bridge battle that they you won. Know, having uh, soldiers off their heads is a historical sort of thing that goes right back. In Vietnam yeah. War, they're worried that all the soldiers were stoned. They're all uh, yeah. know, smoking a lot of grass. It's just, uh, yeah. Having drunkenness in the armies is no new thing. I mean, if you're, you know, basically cannon fodder, I'd want to be pissed as well. Yeah, <laughs> well, quite often, that's, quite often they needed them to be a little bit pissed to be up for it. Um, so binge Britain is not a, a new thing. You know, this is... It's, it's, yeah. We've always been pissheads, let's be honest. I'm not um, quite sure if it's as bad, ever been as bad as Clapham High Street on a Saturday night. Well, I will tell well. you. <laughs> I told my, if you go down there, I took my daughter down there. We were driving back from somewhere once at midnight and she, she was little. And I said, if people were shouting at each other. There's a glass smashed and somebody's shouting and screaming. And I said, wow, Lily, have you ever seen anything like that before? She went, only on EastEnders. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you something, John. I live in Brighton, and if you live oh, in yeah. a stag-do town, I bet wow. Clapham High Street's got nothing on that. One of the reasons it said that, that people... I love this excuse for people in the Middle Ages drinking so much is because of the vessels they drank out of. Oh, yeah. They didn't have flat bottoms. They drank out of horns and bowls. They, they couldn't, so they put, couldn't them put them down. down. <laughs> and they had little pegs in them, didn't they, to mark? That's right. They had little pegs, and so taking someone down a peg or two, was that related to That came from moving that, the Edgar, peg? one of the Saxon kings yeah. decreed that um, you, could, you should only drink so much, and so you had a little peg attached to your yeah. foot. Yeah, so to bring someone down a peg or two was to beat them in a drinking competition, essentially. I see. Okay, that's impressive. Um, and, and of course, they had no way of knowing how strong the beer they were brewing was. No. And it's thought that it was much stronger than the beer that we well, have there was, today. There's a great bit I read in one of the books, and you might have uh, done this research as well, but later on in the sort of Middle Ages, the way that a beer tester would test whether beer was ready or not was he would pour it on a flat wooden surface sit in it for half an hour <laughs> and then when he stood up if it was sticky it wasn't uh, brewed enough it was too sugary so but if it was, if he got up and it was just a bit wet then that was fine and that was his that's i've done my job my work is done my i'm the technician around here john you know 
You know how those of us who work in the arts are supposed to retrain? <laughs> That's what we could do. I think I've found my vocation. Sit in puddles of beer. <laughs> yes, to see if it sticks. In the Why Magna not? Carta, which I think you're just coming up to, mm. one of the stipulations was that there should be one measure for ale. Because there were concerns about uh, the barons were concerned about all these different measures for ale. I think that what they were basically saying was, "Yeah, fill that up a bit, would you?" Because yeah. uh, <laughs> it's, it's a bit short, that is, if you don't mind. <laughs> so that was the first time, wasn't it, the Magna Carta yeah. of the 13th century? First time there was sort of standard measures. I was in a pub in the centre of London and um, asked for a pint, and this very smiley sort of woman behind the bar went, "Sure," and she poured me this glass of beer, and I'm not a pint. I'm not joking. It was half full. I just handed it over. And I went, is it your first day? She went, she was Australian. She went, how did you know? I went, went, yeah, I wouldn't do that to anyone else. You really, it's quite important to fill it up to the very top. Oh, really? I just thought you wanted a glass of beer. And uh, no, no, that's sacrilege. You can't just put a bit of beer in a glass and just be happy with that. So that's what the Magna Carta was complaining about. I think they had some Australian barmaid going, oh, I thought you just wanted a bit of beer in a glass. Sorry, now, do you continue, Angela? No, a, beer was a, an important part of celebration in the Middle yeah. Ages. Um, and I love some of these. So you'd have ales for all occasions. Yeah. So you had church ales, midsummer ales. Ales was the name of a, the celebration as well. So oh, I an see. ale okay. was the party. So you had these church ales, midsummer ales, and they were really debauched affairs. But this is my favourite one. And I am right. going to reinstate this for my upcoming wedding is the bride ales, which is where the word bridal comes oh, from. Because so the word right. bride, John, actually has the same root as the word brew. You know? Ah, okay. And the bride ale is where the bride's mother would brew a batch of ale for the wedding. Right. And they'd hold the reception on the village green. Yeah. And they would sell the ale that the bride's mother brewed. And passers-by would buy it at the standard rate. But all the wedding guests, they would pay loads more for it because that would be the way to provide the bride's family with a dowry. Fantastic. Bride so ale. they'd flog a oh, bit you of... something um, every day. Yeah, there you go. So I like that. And, but my favourite, favourite ale, John, is groaning yes. ale. Groaning ale, that's, I've had some of those. <laughs> Groaning ale is when a woman was pregnant, a local alewife, she'd brew a batch of particularly strong ale for the woman, right? And it was timed to mature when she was due to give birth. Right. And then when the labour began, both the birthing mother and the midwife would wow. crack it open and drink it just to make the whole ordeal more bearable. This is like my labour landslide bitter. Yeah. <laughs> And then they'd eat, they'd get the newborn baby and they would wash the baby in beer. Ah, oh, this explains a lot. This is <laughs> I think this is what happened with me. It's so rooted in our history, beer. I love yeah. it. They weren't washing them in wine, John, they were washing them in they're beer. In beer. Yeah, down um, on their head. Now after the decline of the Roman Empire, Catholic Church becomes the dominant force in Europe. And like they do, they took over most aspects of life, yes. including brewing. Okay. Um, the monks, and the monks were there brewing. Alcohol and the church have always been sort of intertwined. Um, yes. You know, you've got you know, obviously the blood of Christ in the wine and things like that. And it's yeah, sorry, I just alcohol... want to pick you up there. And you see, I wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been my translation to the, the, the Christ, Christ's blood turn into wine. I would have had to turn to Breakspeare's Bitter, I think. Yeah, or maybe, right. a, or maybe right. a pint of Landlord. <laughs> But it's interesting because other drugs existed apart from alcohol, you know, other hallucinogenic drugs and things. And it's interesting that the church only really um, condoned the use of alcohol. And it's thought to be because what alcohol does while it gets you pissed, it never sort of connects you. It doesn't give you a gateway to a new world like other drugs might do. Right. And that, that might affect your relationship with, inverted commas god okay that's um, quite interesting so, so it's things quite like interesting that that's how in the western world particularly we end up with alcohol being perfectly legal and magic mushrooms not being yes or fly garrett yeah or, yeah 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 scandinavians meanwhile were really into their hallucinogenic mushrooms the whole thing of yes. flying reindeers comes from you know drinking the urine of reindeers that had eaten the uh, red spotty mushrooms and uh, any any place where you see flying in sort of mythology, like witches on broomsticks. Women were imagined to have ingested hallucinogenic drugs by masturbating on the handles of broomsticks. And uh, that's why the image of them flying on broomsticks is because that's why they got their trips by rubbing rubbing their naughty bits uh, smeared with uh, magic mushrooms or flyer garrick. 
Let's, this is all, I don't know, I've tried it. Right, let's let's get tried. through this, I've got an experiment to do. So you can see why the church were going, yeah, I'm not sure we're going to put this one in the, uh, yeah, in the sermon for Sunday. Yeah, let's stick with the one that just gives them a headache in the morning. Yeah. Let's do it with that one. So the monasteries then yep. felt that they should control brewing. And of course you had the whole Benedictine thing was going on who pioneered self-sufficiency of monasteries. So they were growing their own food and they were, and during Lent, lots of monks survived on just beer. And there's some records from the year 1004 from Burton Abbey. And they show that the daily allowance for its monks consisted of one gallon of strong ale and one gallon of wheat ale. That was a daily allowance, John, was 16 pints of ale. God, that's insane. (laughs) Do you remember? Three pints and I'm on the floor. Do you remember that story about William Hague drinking 10 pints when he was a a student for this job? Oh, yes. And everyone went, that's ridiculous. That's that's so clearly not true. I was the only person in the country to go, oh, no, I know that's true because I did that same job. So when I (laughs) left university, I was the Drayman's assistant and we would go from pub to pub unloading all the beer and... This would be at seven in the morning. You'd go to your first beer. You'd put all the barrels in the cellar and then you'd go up and chat with the publican and he'd pour you a pint. And this wow. was at seven in the morning. And then you'd do your next pub at 7.30 in the morning. You you'd get another pint. No, pubs. the guy next to me was driving. He was having halves after about oh, the first Oh, that's pints. all right then. It was, was driving these... having seven halves. It was... Exactly. <laughs> and so I had 10 pints and I then I had to... I was 21, you know, and I had to negotiate yeah. these stacked up crates of... Um, uh, empty mixer bottles uh, on on a trolley. And I remember my last, I never tipped the whole load over. My last day I came to Torquay on this hill and the whole fucking lot went over on its side. Oh all God. these little Brit Vic and Schweppes bottles were rolling down the street. All these cars were crushing these glass bottles. And I was going, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just saw that. And that was my job. Wow. In Belgium, it's the Trappist monks, isn't it? That still make, it's the only monk tradition, really, that survives with beer. But I've got... A st- I did a gig in Brussels about five yeah. years ago. And it was in this bar in Brussels. And I went in and they were really friendly and lovely. And they said, would you like a drink? And I said, oh, yeah, I'd love a beer. And they said, what would you like? And I said, surprise me. Right? And they oh, gave no. me this pint of ale. And I'd sort of forgotten about Trappist beers being a thing. Yeah, yeah. So I had this pint of ale and it was delicious, right? It was really lovely. And I don't usually drink before I go on but I was you know I was in another country I thought oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then um, and it's sort of gone down quite nicely this beer so they said do you want another one I was like oh sod it yeah why not what's the worst that can happen what I hadn't realized John is before I went on stage I drank two pints of beer that was 10 percent oh my god it's like wine or something it was like two wine pints and wine. I drank two pints of it and went on stage and the, and the beer they'd given me they were laughing because they knew what they'd done to me oh, no no that's a, not good it was a beer called Pays de Dieu, Pays Dieu, I think it was called. Um, and it's a beer that is brewed by monks, but only on a full moon, apparently. <laughs> okay. And it's got this this sort of reputation for being this mad beer. And yeah, I'd had, so I got on stage just slow, And I had to say to the audience, I was, I was sorry. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> He's given me two pints of your most lethal beer. <laughs> oh God, I did that for a Radio 4 recording once. I was like at the Edinburgh Festival oh. and it was like... Um, um, recording this story I'd written for Radio 4 and there's me and uh, Ramesh and Grana McGuire and my wife and I went to this lovely Riverside pub in Leith and I said I'm just going to have one pint before I do this and Jack's going well one one's okay actually but it was so delicious and the sun was shining I said I'm just going to have another one I get on the microphone in front of this audience in Edinburgh Festival and I'm going so this is my story I've written and so I kept doing retakes and they're going what's wrong with this bloke it's like it's, it's a big mistake well, and the thing is, is what, adrenaline and beer don't an alcohol don't mix I think as oh. well so if you've got a bit of performance adrenaline plus two pints that probably doubles no. the effect of that alcohol right we come on to now the hops right hops are important because up to this point we're not using hops yes yeah, so this is like the 1400s the word beer had dropped out a bit I think from hmm. uh, Saxon times and uh, it was referred to as ale so what we know as ale is all the beer brewed from malted barley without the hop flavoring in it is that right right. that's right so in the 8th and 9th centuries Bavarian monks had discovered these hardy perennial hops they're from the same family as cannabis and nettles Um, fantastic and the good thing about hops is their oils and resins were not only good for preserving the ale they were good for it lasting longer but also flavoring it ancient Egyptians used hops for flavoring but then the art had been lost until these monks rediscovered it and particularly in the warmer places in Europe 
they started using hops in beer because it preserved the beer through the summer months where it had been impossible right, yeah, in, the, yeah. in the past. But of course, in Britain, it was like, oh, what is this? Yeah. What have you put in my ale? Yeah, you have exactly. ruined it. It took a hundred years, apparently, for, for the British to get used to it. Yeah, it was. To go, actually, oh, I, oh, I quite like it with the hops in. Yeah. Well, it was these um, uh, Flemish traders who brought it hops yes. to Britain and they landed in Kent and Sussex. And of course, Kent, and the, and the, the taste of it only really spread when the British went, oh, it makes my beer last longer. Oh, yeah, go on then. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah. If it means I can have yeah. more beer. Yeah, definitely. So it, by, it took until the 1520s before hops were grown in Kent. And they have been. I grew up in Kent. But yeah. also my family who grew up in South London. So my grandmother's yeah. family from South London, from Deptford. But they would come down to Kent hop picking in the summer, in, in the, you know, sort of September every year and i've got a lovely photograph of my grandmother as a baby with her mother and her grandmother hot picking in a, a paddock wood in kent and um, can i read out an account from this book about hot pickers in kent uh, oh, go on. as a rule they are uncleanly their <laughs> habits coarse their language foul and their morality doubtful what the fuck many are you talking about? In Kent, <laughs> many persons in Kent prefer to lose several pounds rather than let their children go into the fields and associate with a mixed company from the East End. This is your lot we're talking <laughs> about, up. Angela. Yep. It's the... And then they settled there. They loved Kent so much that they went, yeah, oh, well, we'll go and live there then. Um, so everywhere in Kent, I grew up surrounded by oast houses, thing, which were yeah. the, the sort of pointy roofed houses yeah. that were, they were kilns to dry the oat. Sorry, yeah, they're distinctive, the aren't they? You know you're in Kent when you see yeah, those. Yeah, there's very few places. But um, it's funny because nowadays people build fake oasts all the time. To And oh, I don't no. know if you've heard the latest audio book uh, by Alan Partridge, which is called From the Oast House. Oh, that's right. And, yeah, and yeah. It's, he's built his fake oast house to live in. Oh, and in God. fact, the estate I grew up on, our local pub was called the Early Bird in Grove Green. And that was a fake oast, that pub. So the hops became popular. And as the debate went away about whether hops were right, so did the distinction between the two words, ale and beer. Yes. So there was this short period yes. of time where ale meant non-hops, beer meant hops. Hops, but then that, Now they're just interchangeable. Then they became interchangeable again. Except now it would sort of mean a more traditional beer, wouldn't it? You wouldn't, you'd never call a lager an ale. No, no. I mean, so we'll come on to the sort of... In the next, yeah. in the second half, we'll talk a bit more about yeah. different types of beer and what the differences are. Um, Henry VIII, he instructed his brewer to never use hops, mostly because he hated monasteries rather than he didn't like the taste. Right. Some towns banned the use of hops. Norwich and Shrewsbury banned them. Monasteries, of course, had vineyards and made wine as well. So actually, right. by the dissolution of the monasteries by Henry, actually cemented Britain as a beer drinking nation. Because okay. once again... It sort of finished off the, the wine. The winemakers, off they go again. So, you know, the Romans yes. came with wine. We saw them off. The Normans came with wine. We went, mm, if you're posh. The monks tried it. And then it. the monks tried it and Henry VIII went, no. So we're really no. holding on to our beer. I mean, it's a lot to do with our weather as well, of course, that we're, you know, grapes don't grow so well no. in you know, the south of England as, as, as barley does. Do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah. And this is why um, distilling is better in Scotland and Ireland because, you know, they struggle to produce beer up there. Absolutely. Um, Let's take a little break. Uh Get a little glass of something. Get a little glass of something. John, you're going to follow the bear. I might chase the dragon just to get a bit better hit. Oh, God, that's a different podcast altogether. (laughs) We'll see you in a bit. Right, the dog's barking because we're just getting a delivery. Do you know what we're getting a delivery of? Beer. Beer. (laughs) Delivery from Shepherd Neem coming in right now. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, Whitstable Bay is my current favourite ale. My Christmas present from my kids last year was a pub crawl. Because they said, what does John like? He likes having a drink with us. He likes beer and he likes history. So they took me on a historical pub crawl around central London. And so we went to the French house and they gave each of them had to read out some facts about it whilst we had the pint. Brilliant. And then we walked to the next pub and they told me about it was a sort of literary history tour. It was fucking brilliant. And it was like the best present I've ever had. We just got pissed all afternoon going oh, to all these different pubs. Shepard Neamey for listening. Whitstable Bay oh. is my favourite beer. I oh, particularly lovely. like their ruby ale. Thank you. Oh, God, this is a shame. <laughs> I'm day. I've got no shame. Mate, if people want to send me beer... <laughs> That is entirely up to them. Where did we get up to in the history of beer, Angela? Because you're getting a bit, you're getting a bit slow. I am getting you're a little yourself. bit. Um, so we talked about ale and beer being, yeah. you know, synonymous and then not synonymous and then synonymous again. Yeah. Um, so maybe we should look a little bit at different types of beer that there are and the right. history of those. So in yeah. this country, more recently, you know, you lager has been 
the popular go-to yes. for the youth um, of today, yes. your pale lagers, your pilsners and everything. And basically, I'm not going to go into the science of brewing because it's really dull. No, it's, Who a cares? Other, it's a whole other podcast. It's a whole other podcast. Um, and, but ales are made with top fermenting yeast that work at warm temperatures. Lagers are made with bottom fermenting yeasts, which sounds rude. The yeast they use is called Carlsbergus. Carlsbergus. There you go. Yeah, it is. And um, <laughs> they... The liquid needs to be cold for lagers. So there you go. So cold storage of beer lagering was done in caves and things before modern refrigeration. Yeah. And particularly in Germany is very famous for its production of lager, still is. They took the production of lager very seriously to the point where they enshrined it in law in the 16th century. 1516, they came up with their Reinheitsgebot, which is the purity law. And the purity okay. law in German lager says that the only ingredients of lager should be water, hops and barley. Yes. Obviously, you need yeast to it, but they didn't include that yeah. in that because that's part of the brewing process, not an ingredient as such. Bavaria insisted on applying that throughout Germany. And it was a precondition of German unification in 1871 that all the states agreed to this lager production law. Um, and it was only in 1987 that the law was seen as being protectionist because lots of imported beers didn't follow that. Wow. So, yeah. so it's been adapted since that it now only applies to German produced beers. So German produced beers are all just those in ingredients. The problem with just having those ingredients mm. is that beer was often very cloudy mm. and it wouldn't. And when glass came in, if, as opposed to uh, wooden you know, horns or wooden bowls mm. or tankards, you could see how cloudy it was and some of it settled and some of it didn't. So they all sat around and said, I'll tell you what we haven't tried. We haven't tried dried sturgeon's bladder. Yes. Because... Uh, <laughs> What's what's the first thing you're going to try? Actually, originally they did it, they, they strained it through flannels. But then they said, I'll tell you what, it seems obvious now. As soon as you say it, it's obvious. But dried sturgeon's bladder, we sprinkle that and then it will fall. Icing glass finings will mm. fall through the beer and take out all the cloudy yeast. And I used to add that to my homebrew, this little white powder. Right. And it would take out the, it would take, take and for some reason that. Take out the cloudiness. So vegetarians, strictly, so can't, can't have beer because it's got yeah. sturgeon's bladder in it. Lots of beer so, now, particularly know. the young modern craft beers. Lots of them are vegan now, aren't they? And they've sort yeah, of I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. But, yeah, but, um, sturgeons were like, this is a bit of bad luck. Yeah. Different types of beer. We won't go through all of them because we haven't got no. forever. But I think um, it's quite a porter, I always find. Porter and stout. Is quite, do you know why porter's called porter? Uh, was it named after Natalie Porter? <laughs> yes, it was. Moving on. Um, <laughs> so, um, it's in the early 18th century. It was developed in London. And it was called yeah. porter because it was popular with the river and street porters working in London oh, at the time. And it was the first... It's very sugary. Very sugary. Very sugary. And it was the first yeah. style of beer that was brewed all over the world. So okay. beer was very sort of idi idiosyncratic, really, up until that point. It was popular with the same sort of people who like three sugars in their tea. Let's put it that way. Yes. They needed the energy. Exactly. They needed the energy. It's I, basically I a meal, isn't it, stout? I mean, are you, do you like Guinness? You, you're an Irishman. You have to say I love Guinness, like yeah. yeah. I love, I love well, Guinness and I love uh, Murphy's as so well. So stout I, is a type of porter because it used to be, you used to get extra porter, double porter and stout porter. Oh, it's stout. That's a stout as a stout. Well, I wouldn't say stout as a porter. Guinness extra stout was originally called Guinness. <laughs> extra superior porter. Porter and stout really came into their own in World War One because of the grain shortage. Restrictions in Britain were um, very strict about how much grain could be used for brewing, but they didn't have those restrictions in Ireland, so they were able to brew more Guinness. Ah. Yeah, and that's when it really took off over here. Um, yes. And the beer we were brewing in World War One was much weaker than it had been. So pre-World War One, the average beer was around 7%, 6-7% ABV. Wow. After World yeah, War One, your average ale was sort of 3 or 4%. And, and to this day, really, you know, you've got your session ales are around yes. or under 4%, really. And they very rarely get over 7% in the pub. So um, when I was a teenage drinker, it was like, oh, this is really delicious. It's really strong. And inside I was going, gosh, this is horrible. Well, yeah. It's so strong. And it's like, it's only when you sort of grow up a bit and you go, actually, 4% is nice. You know, I, that's about what you want. I'm a, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a strong session ale drinker. I love a oh, session yeah. ale because I can drink three of them without falling over. It's scientifically proven that women of a certain age, our alcohol tolerance really drops when you go through oh, the, really? as you approach the menopause yeah so and i've noticed it in the last year for me so i'm in the sort of perimenopause bit that i just cannot hold my drink like oh i could God. even two three years ago it's really horrible i hope that stage passes soon jackie my wife is not a great drinker and when we first started going out we'd go to the pub and she goes oh, i can drive 
And then another time we go to the pub, oh, I can drive. And I thought, this is the woman for me. <laughs> <laughs> you see, we have that. We have to do the taking in turns that we both want to drink. We never want to drive. We have to do the... Jeff, no, I did it last time. You drove last time. So where have we got up to historically, So then we've Angela? got India Pale Ale. Is quite, IPAs oh, yes. are obviously all the rage at the moment. They were really part of the yeah. craft beer revolution. And it's only really been in the last, what, 20 years in America, there was a sort of resurgence of the IPA. Yes. And craft brewers making it... But yeah. the IPA has got an interesting history. It was um, pale ales were very popular in Britain. And when we started colonising all over the place, when the East India Company was formed, the traders would be travelling from Britain en route to India and they wanted a, an ale to drink. Yes. But the ale they had, because it wasn't overly hopped, didn't travel very yeah. well. So they developed this India pale ale or IPA, which was an e yeah. extra hot to preserve it for the journey, which happened to make it stronger as well. That started to become popular with the traders in India. And then it started to become popular here in the sort of mid 19th century. And now yes. it's and taken on a whole yeah, new craft life. beer thing. But before you, you, you know, sort of craft beer wankers of today, of which I am proud to be a bit of a craft beer wanker, um, you had your proper beer wankers where you god love them and i do love them i do, I do love them, love them. we talk are about talking camera. about camera the campaign for real ale Cam they um we should so, explain what real so, well, ale this, this, this is very yeah. much my childhood so my dad was a beer drinker and my brother was a beer drinker and whilst i was growing up there was this thing happening to british pubs where the cask ale that we sort of take for granted now the hand pumps where you get a nice pint of uh, lovely bitter that was disappearing in pubs and keg beer had been developed for sort of sale in sports clubs where there was not much turnover and it was sort of like the difference between uht milk and well, fresh sort of, milk the, the that's baseline how I sort of difference is, isn't it that the yeah. kegged beer it's like basically it's just having a big can of beer whereas yes, in cask is, yeah. beer part of the fermentation process takes place in the cask that it's then poured from and it's much much and it's much nicer, nicer. <laughs> but it's it, that, yeah. that's so, you have to a, a publican has to be able to look after a cask beer because the process is still ongoing absolutely. whereas a keg it's ready to go yeah. so you don't need to be skilled in the same way yeah so my uncle was right. a publican and he was uh, you know under pressure from his brewery to have keg beers mm. in there they, were, they took out the skill from mm. the publican and you just turned on a tap yeah. basically but we would be driving to go to the pub when we were on holiday we would drive past a dozen pubs before we would stop because my dad would say oh no that's a bloody what his house we're not going in there oh that's because all these breweries were taking on this keg beer and you couldn't get a decent pint of beer in the early 70s and um camera was formed the campaign for real ale and it's one of the most successful campaign stories you know in modern history really because they suddenly realized that everyone was feeling like sod this this beer is horrible i love a nice pint of beer why are you ruining it by turning it into this fizzy recarbonated pop and uh and and there was a commercial demand for decent beer which sort of turned it round in the sort of late do you know where 80s. it was formed camera it was in it was ireland, ireland yeah in it? kruger's bar yeah. in kerry on the 16th of march 1971 it was called the campaign for revitalization of ale it was called to begin with yes yeah, not, not as catchy, catchy is it but like you say it was a successful campaign camera i think there's a place for both sometimes i want a slightly fizzy keg beer sometimes i don't mind a lager I'm sometimes not, on i'm a not hot a massive day, lager but, fan but... But sometimes I want my right. ale to be a bit fizzier and, a, you know, I'm quite happy to go for a keg. Yeah, but some days, on a Sunday afternoon, in a pub with a roaring fire, I want a hand-pulled <laughs> cask ale. Lovely. That's what I want. I want one now, John, if I'm honest. But that's... Well, <laughs> so I think that the whole success of camera and everything, it's, it sort of cements us. We're a beer-loving nation. So Elizabeth I, she loved her beer. She liked it strong. She'd drink a quart for breakfast, John. That's two pints of beer for breakfast. That's two pints. Uh, the health benefits of beer have been promoted throughout. In the 17th century, the Puritans, who famously don't like fun at all, they no. took beer Ooh. with them on the Mayflower. So, because it wasn't really okay. seen as being a vice beer, it was Simple. it was a healthy right. drink. Saint Bartholomew's Hospital yeah. in the East End of London, yeah. uh, their records show that sick children in Saint Bartholomew's <laughs> averaged about three pints of beer a day. That's why I say it's, it's, in in our, it's in our genes and, now. And that was pre-World War One beer. That was the strong stuff. That yeah. was 7% beer. They were, children were drinking three wow. pints a day. It was an act that came in in 1908 saying you were not allowed to sell beer to children under five. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> or give beer to children under five. I, said, I, said, I, like, I like they've said, yeah, over five, you're six. Fine, yeah, it's your round now, mate. A threat <laughs> did come to beer 
uh, for a short period yes. in our history from gin. During the time of the Industrial yes. Revolution, people suddenly were moving to cities and working in factories. And factories at that time were hell on earth. They weren't, you know, full of people yeah. in high-vis vests with help clipboards, making sure yeah. everyone was all right. They were hell. So understandably, people wanted to escape through gin. You'd do a 14-hour shift at the mill or at the factory. Yeah. And gin turned up into this nightmare. Fastest way out of Manchester. Yes, quite. <laughs> And, and I mean, there's a whole episode to be had on gin and maybe we'll yeah, do that yeah. one day. But this is beer. So let's just say the cheap gin craze, for the first time in history, beer was under threat. And rich people at the time, the upper classes, they didn't really bother themselves with what was going on in the slums until they realised the gin epidemic was destroying their servants. And then they realised they needed right. to get beer back in in focus. And the army, they need yeah, a yeah. That, well, that's it. Like we said before, if your cannon fodder's a little bit pissed, yeah. it's fine. But you don't want them so legless they can't do anything. Yeah. So they needed to promote beer again, and one of the ways they brought beer back was through its press, you know, and, and its health benefits. And don't drink gin. Right. And okay. People know Hogarth's famous drawing, Gin Lane. Well, yes. there was a, a sort of twin picture called Beer Lane or Beer Street. Compa- it was called. I don't know if it's a companion piece. Yes. That's the, and which was a sort of yeah. romantic image of happy people. And the only person who looks upset in Beer Street is the pawnbroker. Oh, <laughs> well, good. See, he's yes. right. Oh, God, so he's got beer it right. was back. And by the end of the 18th century, Prince Regent himself, he proclaimed that beer and beef have made us what we are, which I think is prone to chronic okay. heart disease. But that's... Um... Okay, <laughs> apart from that, very good. And, and the custom of Saint Monday was born in the Industrial Revolution, uh, where people would add an unofficial extra day to the weekend to recover. <laughs> and they called it Saint Monday's Day. There were always um, uh, punishments for drinking too much beer in public and being yes. drunk. In James I's time, they put you in the stocks for six hours if you were publicly drunk, because they reckon six hours was how long so it took you to sober <laughs> oh, up again. And so, oh, so it's like, oh, 6 p.m., the bottles yeah, are out again. Go, let's go again. back in. <laughs> there was a thing called the drunkard's cloak, which was if you were drunk in public, you had to put on the drunkard's cloak, which was a barrel with armholes and leg holes cut out, and you had to parade around Amazing. in this and, and shamefully be exposed it, as a drunkard. It, it, so it looks like something from a car, too. It was such a British thing, drinking beer. And like we said, safer than drinking water. It was still the case up yes. until, really, until the early 20th century. American revolutionary old Benjamin Franklin, he spent some time in London. He worked in a yes. printing house. And because he was American, he, he would drink water. And people thought it was so extraordinary that they gave him the nickname Water American because they were very witty. <laughs> uh, maybe if they weren't so hammered, yeah. they would have come up with a better nickname. Um, yes. But if you think about, there's a pub in um, Soho called the John yes. Snow. And that's named after John Snow, the doctor. Not the newsreader. <laughs> not the newsreader. But he had noticed that the water pump there in Soho was connected to the yeah. cholera outbreak. And that's because if you drank water from a pump, you were quite likely to get infected with you know, lethal mm. disease. That's why everyone was getting all the liquids yeah. from beer. It was the largest single household yeah. expense in the uh, 18th century was the money Absolutely. you spent on beer. There, not rent, not like, food, there, beer. there was a temperance movement growing around this time, which really yeah. grew right up into the yeah. beginning of the 20th century. Um, again, we could do a whole podcast and probably will one day on the temperance movement. Yeah. It's quite, but But people genuinely thought that, that temperance was dangerous, some people, because if you didn't have your beer, you'd get... Yeah. And there was a lovely story of a, a guy signing the temperance pledge, which we would sign, and his friend was saying to him, the mustn't, Richard, they'll die, which I think is lovely. <laughs> and there was a story of a Quaker, who Quakers obviously didn't drink, and he applied yeah. for life insurance, his Quaker, and he was told that as an abstainer, he'd have to pay an extra premium on his life insurance because he hilarious. didn't drink beer. We've got a big statue to the temperance uh, in Clapham here. And as you just as you come out of the common tube and go to the common, there's a great big sort of green lady and all the winos sit around underneath it drinking special beer <laughs> of white lightning. It's like this, it's like this gathering place Beautiful. for drunks, the temperance um, statue. The Industrial Revolution obviously had a big effect on the production of beer. Three yep. inventions really allowed it to be industrialised. The steam engine, the hydrometer, which measures the density of liquids, and the thermometer. That meant that beer could now be produced on an industrial scale and that's when you start getting your big breweries your guinness your bass your that's right do you, know, do you know who invented the glass sealed thermometer mr. mr fahrenheit of course 
Those that little um, other thing you said, yeah. the hydrometer. I had one of those when I measured my beer. It measures the specific gravity, so it's like a it's like a vertical looks like a vertical uh, thermometer. But what it does is measures how dense your liquid wow. is. So you put it in at the beginning of your brew, and then mark it down, and then measure it at the end of the brew, and you can see how much sugar, how, how the density. So it of tells you how much sugar's turned, much sugar to turned to alcohol, and how strong it is. Yeah, and you can. And they, that's how they the, the customs and excise measure yeah. the, the, the the alcohol content of beer. And I've used to have one of those little things, but I don't now, want to. Do it. Of course, as soon as I had any money, I started yeah. buying beer because it's nice. Yeah, <laughs> as your brother will attest. <laughs> yeah, as my brother would point the, out. Yeah. Now, beer, you know, healthy drink, we know that, John, but it was still dangerous. Yeah. In different ways. In 1814 right. uh, was the London beer floods. Have you heard about this? Had you heard about it? It sounds, it sounds like Homer oh dancing God. around it's, in the street I mean, to the crash. It's an incredible crash story. This is a, uh, it was, now, the name of this brewery, is it Mer? Would you say that? Mer? No. Co. M-E-U-X, anyway. Co's Horseshoe Brewery in London on the 17th of October, 1814. uh, A 22-foot-tall wooden vat of fermenting porter burst and somewhere between 128,000 and 323,000 imperial gallons of beer is released. And it destroys the back wall of the brewery and swept into an area of slum dwellings, which was the St. Giles Rookery. Wow. Eight people were killed by this tidal wave of of beer. beer. And one of the stories I read about it, which did make me laugh a little bit, was these two guys in in the brewery. They were in like um, a a shed, one of the outbuildings at the brewery. And in the story I read, it said the tidal wave was so strong that it knocked half the clothes off one of these two men and i was like did it or were those two men in the out but do you know yes. what i mean i was like did- yes what happened yeah, it was, was the beer came and it knocked was, my trousers sir? off sir <laughs> i have to say this title this exploding bit this is britain's chernobyl it is. isn't it the, the russians had a nuclear fallout we had exploding beer exactly. bats, and that's our they should do a series is, i mean that. you know tragedy plus time equals comedy we shouldn't laugh because eight people did die yeah. but a beer tsunami sounds incredible did you know john that beer was the first thing to be trademarked in this country. In 1875, we had the Trademarks Registration Act was passed. And up to this point, so you had your big brewers, one of which was um, Bass, which people have heard of. Yes, Bass. And um, they had a problem with forgeries, like people claiming to be Bass beer when it wasn't, and sometimes it was poisonous. There was an incident in Salford in 1900 where 70 people died in a mysterious epidemic, and it was traced back to a fake batch of beer uh, which was contaminated with sulfuric acid so it's a real problem for brewers and so bass came up with the idea of they stamped their barrels with a red triangle but it turned out quite easy to copy that so the night the trademarks registration act came into force a representative from bass they spent the night before it sleeping on the steps of the new trademark office to make sure they could get straight in there and bass became britain's first trademark and Okay. The red, the red triangle. triangle. And the practice of burning yeah. them onto the wooden beer barrels is where the term brand comes from, as in a brand name. Because ah. it was oh, rounded into a beer so barrel. Much today. There you go. Fantastic. By the end of the 19th century, there were a few large companies accounted for 90% of total British beer output. So it went from being this thing that everyone did at home, the women that did at home, to being this massive yes. industrial scale production that it is today. Yes. And now we have supermarkets dominating sales mm-hmm. of beer. The pub's struggling. We're not going to talk no, too much about pubs because we might do another episode pubs. on that one day. But uh, I'm still someone. I'm still someone. <laughs> I'm considered an eccentric in my the, the local because I always go down and get my beer in a jug from the pub. Aww. So uh, I, I walk down there with an empty jug, and they're, they're, everyone else is looking on whilst they know behind the bar. Oh, that's John. He always has two pints of bitter for the, of an evening. And um, I've done that since I was a student. Yeah. Because I so prefer pub beer to canned beer. And uh, my, my apparently my dad and my grandfather did I it think, as well. So it must be I a think, family um, thing. In lockdown, lots more people are doing that. I know in the first lockdown, we got yeah. a lot of beer from local pubs. And I know in um, in Newfoundland, where I, I can't go a podcast without mentioning Newfoundland. Uh, yes. But local brewed beer is a bad, massive thing in Newfoundland, and you take they call them growlers. I don't know. I don't know if that's a Newfoundland thing. Or yeah, you yeah, you get those. No, here, they sell those. They, yeah, yeah, so you yeah, take you your growlers, yeah, yeah, growlers to the brewery and uh, fill them up. Yeah, for your party. yeah. During lockdown, I've got this pub delivering uh, car scale. He cycles round this pub in Stockwell, the Priory Arms. He cycles round and uh, delivers me four pints Brilliant. for a weekend. So do find out, especially. I mean, as we're recording this, we're in a lockdown, and when we put it out, we probably still will be. So find out what your local yeah. pub's doing because they've got all this beer and, and they don't, you know, it'll end up down the drain if you don't buy it. 
Yeah, support your yeah. local pubs. Uh, enjoy real beer as opposed to, you know, uh, keg Absolutely. beer. And, Absolutely. Uh, and the crappy stuff they try to foisten us. Uh, Angela, you've taken me on a journey through the story of uh, my favourite drink. I can't imagine what I'm going to do now. It's lunchtime. <laughs> I wonder. Uh, I'll go down and have a nice big glass yes, of water. Definitely. I will say, talking about commercial pressures, this isn't really anything to do with this, but I went to the petrol station and I filled up my car and then I got a bottle of water. And I thought, look, I just did a quick calculation and the bottled water cost more per litre than the petrol going into the car. No, I thought, that is insane. Mad, How's that? How has that worked out? And how is it that beer in pubs is so expensive and beer in supermarkets is so cheap and that we're prepared to pay two quid for a bottle of water, but we won't pay... You know, the decent price for a pint of beer in a pub. Um, So support your pubs. Thank you, Angela, for taking me on that journey. I'm looking forward to Bridal. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. There'll be a Bridal at my wedding. I feel sorry for Spike. He's got to edit this podcast because this is we're both we both love beer so much that we have yacked on for ages. We've been very loquacious. (laughs) But uh, Spike has plenty of experience working in pubs and breweries himself. So I'm sure he'll. He'll do it He's over an evening. He's used to quietening down beer. the beer balls. That's <laughs> exactly that's us. This is like being back at the pub and two people going, "Oh, is this real ale, mate?" I mean, it was, you did have this image of the beardy boar going on about yeah. real ale, but thanks to them, they sort of saved British beer. So I'll raise a glass to camera and the good yeah. beer guide and the pubs that still make an effort to keep proper beer. That's it for We Are History. We'll be back to more traditional subjects we next week. We shall. Next time, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at We Are History Pod. Uh, pop on to iTunes, give us a nice review. That would be nice. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next time. Bye.